0: I think that we'd all agree that a believer in Christ should be a person that's also a disciple of Christ, that is a person who follows Christ. As far back as Jesus' calling of his very first disciples out of the business of fishing for fish and into the business of fishing for persons, the call has been beyond believing alone, it's been a call to behaving because— The call was, and the call still is, a call to radical obedience, to a radical savior. I mean, Jesus Christ did not meet Simon Peter and Andrew on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, cleaning their fishing nets, and say, hey guys, I'd appreciate it if you'd believe in me. See you around. No, Jesus didn't say that at all. Jesus commanded them with authority. He commanded them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus Christ was radically calling them to leave what they knew of their family-owned fishing business and to come into a rabbi-learner relationship, to leave their business pursuits and come into a master-servant relationship. There was nothing in that of I'd appreciate it, but there was everything about I demand it. Really, to be a New Testament Christian is to be a bond slave or a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 1, verse 1, that kind of a person is mentioned. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show to his bond servants, there it is, to show to his bond servants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant John, there it is again. I think there's a case that can be made that that too many Christians can't understand the book of Revelation because it's given to bondservants and they haven't made the decision to be a bondservant yet. What is a bondservant? A bondservant is a person who yields to the lordship of Christ, presents themselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus as a blank check for Jesus Christ to spend however he wishes. Refiners, fire... That song prayer uh, alludes to this. Therefore, if the call to belief in Christ for salvation has with it a call to radical obedience to Christ, it is rather alarming that so many who call themselves Christians, mostly in the Western Hemisphere, have such a low, low view of Jesus. These who call themselves Christians do not live with Him as being the Lord of their lives, and examples of lordless Christianity are rampant. There are some pastors who go their evil ways in their sins of adultery, homosexuality, theft, or abuse as if God were blind. And in some cases, congregations have some awareness of these secret sins, and they're okay with it. That's lordless Christianity. Studies, I'm going to quote a few studies today. Studies show that almost 50% of practicing American Christians aged 23 through 38 years old believe that evangelism is always wrong. Believe that doing evangelism is always something you shouldn't do. Or born-again Christian married persons being about equally likely to divorce as non-Christian married persons. Lordless Christianity. Mormons, the cult. Mormons being more likely to read their Bibles during the week than are Protestants and Catholics. There are about 60 to 70 million Gen Zers. These are persons aged four years old to 20 years old who basically live by the creed, you do you, and I'll do me, and they are not willing to offend anyone over anything. All personal beliefs to this generation are untouchable. Whatever you choose to believe, I should not persuade you to believe differently. Of this same generation, ages four years old through 20 years old, only 4% of this group who claim to be Christians, mind you, have a worldview which is based on anything in the Bible. 15% of these individuals age 4 through 20 who claim to be Christians believe that Jesus was a real person. 15% who call themselves Christians only believe that Jesus was a real person. All the others who claim to be Christians, 85% of them don't claim that Jesus was a real person. Christless, lordless Christianity. So what the result of this is, we get plenty of Christians, in quotes, Christians age four through 20 who believe in wizards and white magic and dark magic and the like. More examples of lordless Christianity. Only 51% of American churchgoers know of the Great Commission. And 25% more have heard of it, but they can't recall its exact meaning. My generation, called the baby boomers, ages 55 through 73 years old, my generation, of, of us who attend church, those of us who do attend church, only 18% volunteer to do anything in their local churches. That's living as though Jesus Christ's call is a call, just believe in me and then your fire escape is to to heaven. It's not living with Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. When you have this mindset that you can be a Christian without believing Jesus is Lord of your life, it makes two words dirty words to you. And the two words are Christian duty. Christian duty to a person who has rejected Christ being Lord of their life sees those two words as being dirty words that should be dumped because they're old-fashioned. Christian duty. Jesus Christ told the parable we're going to look at this morning that calls us to understand our place as servants, voluntary servants of the Lord Jesus. and gives us insight into the attitude that Christ expects of us as we do our Christian duty. Luke 17, 7-10, uh, please. Jesus' words. But which of you having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did these things which were commanded of him, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. When you look up the verses that lead into this particular parable, you see that the Lord Jesus had been calling his men to faith in him. He'd been calling his men to faith in him for what was difficult, and he, was call, he had been calling them to faith in him for what was impossible. Let's look at his call to the difficult. The first three verses of chapter 17. And he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and if he were thrown into the sea, And then he should cause one, then he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Verse three, be on your guard if your brother's sins rebuke him And if he repents, forgive him. So the difficult thing that Jesus had been talking about was rebuking sin and then forgiving a repentant sinner. And let's face it, that whole ministry of confrontation is awkward. And Jesus said, basically, have faith in me to do that difficult thing. But there's more still before our passage in verses four through six. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So Jesus Christ, they were asking him to Increase their faith. He said, have faith enough in the difficult of confronting a sinner. But he's also saying, have faith in me in the impossible. In other words, have unlimited forgiveness. It is impossible for a person to have unlimited forgiveness unless Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit controls that Christian. Supernatural. Supernatural. And so the parable we're going to look at calls believers in Christ to faith in Jesus Christ, not for the difficult here, not for the impossible here, but for the routine, the everyday. Verses 7 to 10 again. But which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done." So Jesus Christ in this parable calls the first hearers and calls us this morning to have faith in him enough to do the routine duties that we're called to do to do them in the right attitude and with the right follow-through. And so in the parable, verses 7 to 10, which I've read twice now, these were everyday chores of that particular slave. That is, the slave in this particular parable He was plowing, he was tending sheep, and he was cooking. You know, the more I live my Christian life, I'm sure you as well, the more we live our Christian lives, the more we realize that that it's a whole bunch of everyday routine things added up to be a lifetime. And so the question that gave rise to this parable, essentially in verse 5, was increase our faith. Can our faith be increased? How can we have more faith in our lives? And to answer this question, the Lord Jesus told the parable of the slave's duty. The parable of a slave's duty. And when you look at verses 7 to 10, some things jump right out at you. Number one, back then having one or more slaves was typical. It says in verse 7, but which of you having a slave? The second thing that jumps out at you is that some slaves back then were jacks of all trades. In verse 7, this particular slave was involved in plowing and tending sheep. And in verse 8, he was involved in preparing something for his master to eat. Third, slaves back then didn't get things ahead of their masters. Verse 7 again, but which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? Fourth, slaves served. They were not served. Verse 8, but will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk? And afterwards, afterwards, you will eat and drink. The fifth thing that jumps out at us from our verses is that slaves were not owed verbal thank yous for following orders. Verse 9, He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? In those five conditions I've gone through rather quickly, these were the norm of uh, slaves and masters in the time of Jesus, New Testament time. And this being the case, it is remarkable grace that five chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 12, would you go there with me? Five chapters earlier previous to our parable, in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 38, that we read this. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. It's remarkable that five chapters previous to the parable we're studying this morning, that Jesus promised to serve his servants if they were faithful. Now, it was equally remarkable, Grace, that five chapters after this parable, the Lord Jesus described himself as being among the first disciples operating as a servant. Remarkable. Luke 22 Verses, verse 27, Luke 22, verse 27, Jesus speaks, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? Remarkable. And so this parable, going back to Luke 17, this parable of a slave's duty emphasizes at least two things to us, two demands that our master, the Lord Jesus, has of each of us. Number one, faithfulness to duty, no matter what our master's demands may be. Faithfulness to duty, no matter what the master's demands may be. In the first part of verse 10 in Luke 17, it says, when you do all the things, Which are commanded you. Faithfulness to duty, no matter what the master's demands may be. The second thing in our parable is that no expectation of special reward for doing one's duty. There ought to be no expectation of special reward when we do one's duty for Christ. The second part of verse 10 says, Say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. We have to ask ourselves a question about verse 10. What is going on in verse 10 when the word unworthy is used? We are unworthy slaves. After all, the slave in this parable, he did his work. Well, then he was not literally unworthy because he did his chores, it says in the parable, but there is, an, there's no indication, rather, that the fields were left unplowed, or the sheep were left untended, or the meal was left uncooked. So something else must be in view here when he says to his master in verse ten, "We are unworthy slaves." What's in view here? In the original language of the New Testament, the word which my Bible translates "unworthy" can also be translated "without need." Without need. Understanding that word in this way, specifically this would be that the slave in the parable was without need. Now watch it. Without need with respect to being owed anything from his master. We might translate it, he, he is an unowed slave. An un-owed slave. Jesus was teaching and Jesus is teaching today that slaves are to be faithful without expectation of anything extra, even a verbal thank you. When Beth and I moved from Dallas, Texas to snowy Ontario in February, a town we moved into in the snow belt that it snowed hard 21 consecutive days after we got there, When we moved into our very first house in our very first pastorate, some persons from our church kindly came out on a cold and snowy night to unpack the moving truck and to put all of our boxed things into our new house. I was not used to such help. To a fault, when I was growing up, my family didn't ask anyone for help, and we found offered help hard to accept. Really, it was pride, pride. It was a wrong attitude, but that's how I was raised. Well, that being admitted, that evening as the heavy boxes were being carried from the truck and into our house through, through heavy snow, that evening I rather insecurely pretty much personally thanked every mover every time I saw them carrying a box into our house. Finally, one of the older brothers who was assisting said, Thank us once at the end of the job, not every effort along the way. He made his point. He did not expect my thanks all the time for everything he did. In this parable, the Lord Jesus is teaching us, one, that he is our master. Two, he commands us to do certain things. Three, we are to do those things as duty. Four, we are not to expect special thanks from him for us obeying him. Five, faithfulness is not a gift to our Lord. It is his expectation of us. Six, we are never owed special reward or even thanks. We do not deserve anything because we obeyed and served our Savior. Number seven, if we are specially thanked and rewarded, it's pure grace. Sometimes the Lord does thank us and reward us for doing our duty, and when He does, it's pure grace. All this being said, there are two extremes in doing our Christian duty which we should avoid. Number one, doing our duty in a slavish way with a lousy attitude. You remember Jesus' parable of the prodigal son? Do you remember the older brother? I've been slaving for you on this farm all these years. You never threw a party for me. That's an attitude in doing our Christian duty that we must avoid. The second attitude to avoid in doing our Christian duty is feeling entitled to a reward for doing it. I waited tables along with Beth in our seminary years at a family restaurant, high volume family restaurant. And there was a large party who would come in about 15 minutes before closing, every Friday. They wanted separate checks, and they never tipped. I wasn't happy to see them come in the restaurant when they came in. My attitude wasn't good. And as the weeks rolled on, and I never saw any tips for the separate check large party. I got a bad attitude. I felt entitled to a tip. That's an attitude that we need to avoid when we serve Jesus and do our duty. And so we're all called to Christian duty. We're all called to have a proper attitude in it. And so how do we do our Christian duty without sinning? The way I got to do my duty for being a waiter to that large party that never tipped was to remind myself what a tip is. A tip is not a wage. And so how are we to do our Christian duties without sinning? Number one, do the will of God from your heart. Do the will of God from your heart. Ephesians 6, verse 6. Context there is slaves be obedient. And here's the verse 6. Not by way of eye service, as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, watch it, doing the will of God from the heart. When I started seeing that table of no-tippers who came in 15 minutes before closing, when I started to see that what I did for them, I was doing from my heart for Jesus, as if Jesus were seated in the party who came in late. How do we do our duty without sinning? Secondly, keep the Lord Jesus' commandments because of love for him. John 14, verse 15, Jesus' words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says when we love him as the motivation for keeping his commandments, we do our Christian duty without sinning. Number three, be sure that your Savior's commands are not burdensome or bothersome to you. 1 John 5, verse three, for this is the love of God, our love for God. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. It's... Not that I have to preach twice today. It's I get to preach God's word twice today. Duties, mine and yours, are privileges. How do we do our Christian duties without sinning? Number four, view doing your duty as a delight. Psalm 40, verse eight. The psalmist David wrote, I delight to do thy will, O my God, Thy law is within my heart. Psalmist David was saying, I delight to do what God tells me to do because his law, his moral character is in my heart. Do our duty with delight. I know a sister in Lord who serves the Lord as a volunteer in our ministry 32 hours a week. For no monetary pay. When I thank her, she smiles and says, That's what I like to do. And this sister in Christ has been delighting in serving the Lord Jesus Christ with that outlook for at least 65 years. We do not sin when we do our Christian duty when we do it as a delight. There is a saying that for all intents and purposes, at least in the circles in which I move, is gone the way of the dodo bird. And the saying is saved to serve. When I grew up as a young Christian, I heard that phrase in good sound Bible believing churches like this one all the time. A person would say, Well, I'm saved to serve. I don't hear that anymore. Not here, not in Canada, not in the US. Is the slogan saved to serve really a dodo bird? Is it obsolete, outdated, not for today? Only if you live with Jesus Christ not being your Lord? Only if you try to live a lordless Christian life. So I just want to give you a challenge to do something. Won't cost you anything, but probably will help you. If you could make some kind of a little sign on a recipe card or as a screensaver on your computer or your phone, just somewhere where you would see it, men, when we're shaving, in the morning taped to our mirror, women in your purse, or, or any of us on the dashboard of our cars, a three-word reminder. I'm not owed. I'm not owed. I think that would help us. If we saw that regularly, I'm not owed. Jesus doesn't owe me anything for me doing my duty to serve him. I am not owed. And so the parable arose out of the disciples saying, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, you are my slaves. You must do my duties. And... As the parable shows us, often, most usually, typically, our duties are routine duties. God wants us to do his duties in a routine manner over and over and over again, even if nobody notices you or thanks you. Routine discharge of duty. It honors the Lord. But which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? so you too when you do the things which are commanded you say we are unworthy slaves unowed slaves we have done only that which we ought to have done please pray with me lord we thank you that you are lord you are lord you are risen from the dead and you are lord we thank you that we understand the concept of being a bond slave from scripture May we present ourselves to you as a blank check for you to spend as you wish. Lord, remind us of our Christian duties. Increase our faith. Help us to have the right attitude in the difficult, the right attitude in the impossible, and the right attitude in the routine. Please forgive us our sins of thinking we are ahead of you or expecting to be served or feeling owed. Forgive us of our sins of being unfaithful in doing our duties or having a lousy attitude in the doing of our duties. Lord, please grow in us doing our duties and serving out of love for you. Grow in us doing our duties and serving from the heart and doing our duties and serving without being burdened or bothered. Grow in us, Lord, doing our duties and serving with true delight. We recognise, Lord, that you don't say, I just appreciate it if you'd believe in me. But after calling us to belief in you for salvation, you command us to be your slaves. Lord, we close this prayer and this sermon saying that you are our Lord and you are our master. In Jesus' name, amen.